Hello, everyone, and welcome to this brand new episode of the Provcast. My name is Court, and I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Community Church, your faithful host as always. Today's episode is a conversation with Eric Ripley, and in this episode, we're going to discuss with Eric a little bit about his testimony, his call to ministry, and spend some time helping our listeners to get to know Eric. He's being trained for pastoral leadership in the church, and he's an elder candidate, so we wanted to take some time to help you guys get to know him. Eric currently served serves us as the director of men's ministry, and he is also an elder candidate at Providence. He is the husband to Chelsea and the father of three wonderful kiddos, um, two boys and a girl, Ezra and Killian, and Priya, his little girl, who they welcomed home this year. We're so excited about that. Eric, welcome back to the Provcast. Thanks for having me. Stoked about Priya first to start off. I feel like that's important to mention. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's great to have her home finally. Been almost a three-year struggle, so... I know it's that good. feeling. Such a such a wonderful thing to have her home and you know be able, especially for your boys too, because you're obviously across the world, yep. getting all the stuff done. They're here, kind of being without you guys, and then being able to make that introduction is probably a big deal. Yeah, it's huge, man. It's been been a great time in our household. So tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, I know I know it, but um, you are infamously West Virginian. Yes, and. Uh, <laughs> But tell us about, you know, uh, growing up in West V, how you came to know the Lord, a little story about your uh, family, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with a question like this, it's hard to figure out where to start and where to end. But Start with that either one way. picture of you that I saw with the mullet and the Power Rangers outfit. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what you do in West Virginia. You basically <laughs> grow up growing mullets and, you know, <laughs> you shooting have squirrels. Have you so, just, they yeah, just grow in that way. It just grows in that way, all natural. <laughs> And then eventually a mustache, but no, it's a, so growing up in West Virginia was obviously pretty awesome in some degree. It was a great childhood, great kind of small town, not like the creepy small towns where everything's crooked, but really like a, you know, nice small town to be raised and all that kind of stuff. So my story kind of in a quick snapshot, when I was younger, my parents got divorced. So kind of grew up with both my parents in the same city for a while, but there was divorce, so obviously it creates awkwardness as a, as a young boy trying to define yourself in the world and kind of figure out who you are. And then for a while, my dad had moved away. There was just some circumstances that came up. It's not really like a, you know, like he was leaving us or abandoning us or anything like that. It was just kind of had to live away from him for a while. So that created the problems that are normally created, I guess, as uh, someone who is you know, kind of going through that and all that. But by and large, really good childhood. I was raised with good Christian values. You know, didn't have a lot of suffering come into my life. Didn't have a lot of trials, at least that I could see. Obviously, there's always spiritual trials we can't see and things like that. But had a general good view, I think, of the Word of God, of the Lord, of the gospel. Never really had, to my knowledge, bad definitions of the gospel, anything like that. But for me, there was always this kind of chip on my shoulder of knowing what I believed about the world, but never really finding it to be true for me in the sense that like, you know, really knowing God was real, really knowing the gospel was was actually true, right? So I based my worldview off this. If you were to ask me if I believed in these things, it would be an absolute yes. I was never ashamed of being a Christian, even at one point bringing my Bible to school and trying to study, you know, all those things. So I kind of grew up in that atmosphere. In West Virginia, a lot of people are religious. You know, uh, a pastor I know up there, he calls it the religious lost. And so the average person you ask in West Virginia about the Lord and about Jesus, they're going to know and they're going to be very proud to be Christian. But where that goes to is is 
some pretty bad theology, which we get in America. You get this in the South too. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the Bible Belt up there. It's it's very much like the Bible Belt, just a, just a little more wild in the sense of you know you got hillbillies, so yeah, that just makes things. We got different. our own hillbillies too, but you actually have hills. Yes, we actually have hills so to create these hillbillies. Real so, hillbillies. Yeah, yeah. So gro- growing up boys. in a holler, it makes a uh, makes a big difference, you know, to <laughs> your hillbilly ishness. That's true. That's another level. It is another level, but so anyways, long story short, that was kind of me. You know, my story is a very simple one in that way. And then as I was in high school, I had some ideas of what I wanted to do about my life and, you know, had some scholarships for track and some different things going on. And I was feel like, like, we should, t- we should talk about that. We, for don't, a we don't need to mention that. <laughs> Eric was a state champion in track in pole vaulting. Yeah. Never tells anybody this. I feel like I'm never, always the one who champions will. this. I feel like he should start his most of his conversations this way, but in the yeah. way, anyway, should put that on my name tag for church. It really you know? should be. I feel I'm going to put it on the website. That's my staff staff position. It's just pole vaulting champ. Instead Anyways. of a shepherd staff <laughs> for your elder ordination, there you go. I'm going to give you a pole vaulting stick. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of had my own plans, and my dad threw a curveball at me by inviting me down to a ministry training program that you were leading at the time. Didn't know you at the time or anything, and so through when I first heard that invitation to come to that, I thought not, not a chance, you know, just my lifestyle, my dreams, my, whatever. It was like, no way am I going to, you know, submit myself to pastoral ministry. Right. And then obviously the Lord had different plans for no reason, you know, known to me. I, I said yes, eventually. And just said, you know what, I'll come down and give it a shot. So when I came down at this point, I don't really consider myself a true Christian, you know, some people have different definitions of when you believe and what that looks like. For me, there was no real, like, it was kind of Matthew 7, right? Like, I never knew you kind of thing for me at that point. And so I went to Brazil on a mission trip and kind of classic mission trip story. Go there as a young American boy, never really been out of the country before. Went there and my dad was kind of helping out at a youth camp there. And I was just kind of attending along. I was on a missions trip, you know, air quotes there, but didn't, I wasn't really being mission. I was kind of absorbing and, you know, learning a new culture and different things like that. Right. You're traveling mostly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, honestly, it's still good for people. I think it's still still a a worthy endeavor to to kind of get out of your bubble. But at the end of the day, it wasn't like a, I don't know what you consider a mission trip, but I wouldn't consider it a mission trip for me anyways. Right. So I was there, long story short, you know, it's going to sound very epic, but this this lady at this youth conference basically gets carried out in a coffin, this epic, you know, endeavor of a sermon that she gives or whatever you want to call this teaching. And so she <laughs> steps out of this coffin, gives this message in Portuguese that I understood very little of. I had some rough translation from a friend there, but he was not great at English and I was not great at Portuguese, so... We we were fumbling through it. He was better at English than you were at Portuguese. Definitely, at the time. definitely better. I only know to say I only knew how to say a few bad things during that time that I learned <laughs> from kids at the youth camp, which is I guess pretty common for for youth camp. Yeah. And uh, long story short, uh, I'm kind of making this long story long, but long story short, I kind of had this moment after that sermon where they're you know they're asking people to receive Jesus and repent and all these things, and I just kind of went up to pray, and my only prayer was really like Lord, you know, show yourself to me. I really want this to be real. I kind of had this moment where I'm there for like an hour. People are starting to trickle out to go play soccer at the youth camp. And, you know, it's kind of winding down. And so I went to leave and I had that that moment, like right before I leave the door, you know, this epic like movie moment where I'm like, all right, Lord, give us one more shot, you know. And at that point, I was really depressed in life. Like I, I 
portrayed happiness and a jolliness in my life, pretty much all my life. And I'm gen- generally a happy guy, but was very depressed knowing that this stuff wasn't real to me. And so I had three major questions on my mind always, which were, is, is God real? Does he love me if he is real? And, you know, was he really calling me into ministry, this path that I was taking? And so I went back to get prayer and I had this guy come pray for me a few times throughout this evening in Portuguese and I didn't understand a word of it. Just thought it's cool. It's nice. He's praying for me or whatever. But so then he brought someone else over who knew some English and they began to kind of translate what he was saying. And it was just, I'm like a moment I've ever, never had in my life. I mean, it was like, I knew God was speaking to me and there's three things he said, which was, I'm real. I love you. And I've called you into pastoral ministry. And wow. I, I'm always cautious telling that story because I never want to get too charismatic in the sense of like, you know, just these random words coming that aren't based in the Bible or anything. You know, all the, all the, all You're the fears, place right? Maybe. Exactly. I know. I know. <laughs> the president charismatic. Uh, but it, uh, to me, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. I've never felt the presence of God like that before. To me, I've like in one moment, I've never felt so confident in eternity. I've never felt so loved and known at the same time, never felt the presence of God like that in my life. And so to me, this was huge. It was like, when I hear the words, like the joy of the Lord, you know, that moment always comes back to me. And so for me, it was a unique experience. And I think obviously our confidence is in the, in the word of God. It's in what we read in the scriptures day in and day out. But for me, that was kind of like my plunge into the idea of, okay, I really am called by the Lord, loved by God. That was kind of the birth of really desiring pastoral ministry because before that, I was just kind of doing it, you know, to do it. And so that was kind of a unique experience where all these things I had thought I had believed had really come to a head into actually trusting. So it wasn't long after that that I was I was baptized and really began to follow the Lord and just learn from Him. And uh, that's kind of my story there. And then obviously, you know, it started the this internship program that I was a part of, met my wife there, got married, had kids, and the rest is history. That's awesome. It's crazy. You know, your, I, I guess you would say then your salvation or being saved and your calling kind of come coinciding together then. Yes, they, they, it does. And, it, you know, in some ways, looking back, it's probably not a good idea that way to some degree. I mean, yeah, so it did come that same way, but obviously the Bible gives warnings of, you know, people shouldn't be young believers in ministry. And and to be fair, I I was just in... I I didn't go off and start preaching or something. I was in student ministry and I didn't have lots of responsibilities. So to be fair, you know, it wasn't like I dived headlong into like, you know, pastoral ministry, but I did start to get training at the same time. And I guess it's unique in the sense of like, I always thought I believed as a kid, but that was the moment where I at least knew that it was real. Right. So as far as, you know, obviously the Bible says we're saved before the foundation of the world. So that's when I was really saved. But, you know, as far as me right. realizing it was that moment. In so, our time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's Paul's story, right? You know, obviously we don't always want to mirror ourselves after Paul the Apostle. Definitely but, not. But yeah, he's, meet you know, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Mm-hmm. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you persecute, and I'm going to show you all that you're going to suffer for my namesake. Yeah. It's like all at once. Yeah. It's like, wow. Intense, yeah. And then he was on top of that, he's blind. Yeah, Blind exactly. and bedridden for three days. Yeah, so it wasn't exactly like Paul, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But still. Oh, yeah, I walked away and played soccer afterwards, so <laughs> maybe not as epic. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Brazil. So you obviously spent some time later. So you came back, did an internship program, met your wife, and got married. 
had kids, did student ministry for a little while, actually t- taking over for me in student ministry. Yep. And then after that, though, you actually did, you and Chelsea uh, went to Brazil. Yes. And did some work there, um, some missions work there for a season. You know, tell us a little bit about that, what the Lord, you know, did in y'all at that time, things you learned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think from an early stage, so when I first became Christian and started to train in ministry, I always imagined myself serving in more of a foreign context. Not that there's a, a holier, you know, I, I don't think either or is, is holier. It's just kind of what I viewed. I always had a fascination with cultures and, you know, trying to learn the culture, the language, that kind of stuff has always been a fascination of mine. I always felt like maybe God had given me that for that particular purpose. And so when we were youth, I was a youth pastor there and was working in a church and really enjoyed the time, loved just loving on the students and, and really enjoyed it. But it was clear, at, you know, at, towards the end of that season that that was not the church I was going to stay at. There was just some things that were kind of working against me there. And so I, I just began to pray about, and I didn't even talk to you about during that time, just kind of what we were going to do. And my parents were moving to Brazil to start a missionary training school. They'd already done some stuff I'd helped out with in the Philippines. And I really enjoyed the work we were doing there. And the heart was basically to train missionaries, uh, indigenous missionaries to, to plant churches and to spread the gospel. And so that was our goal in Brazil as well. And so we got invited to go down. We decided that we were going to do it. So we basically, our whole lives dwindled down from an apartment, which wasn't huge at the time anyways, to about five suitcases and a child. And so we're like, all right, here we go. And so we, uh, moved there and a little bit, I don't want to get too much into a pity party here because it's not the point of this podcast, but just to frame kind of our, our, our time and what we really learned in Brazil. Uh, before that, about a year and a half before we moved to Brazil, I had this unexplained illness, which I didn't find out till like two years ago what it was. So it was like a Lyme disease and it affected my immune system. I thought I was having heart attacks. I thought like, you know, I thought I was done for. It was so weird. All the doctors were like, you look great, man. I don't, I don't know what's going on, go follow up with your primary care physician. And I was like, what I always got told. And and there were moments where I'm in the ER thinking I'm dying. This is what it feels like, you know, and obviously it wasn't true. I'm still alive today. So that's good. But those were, I mean, that was years of, it was years of that. And it was, it was a big struggle. And so moving to Brazil, I was already moving, feeling weak, you know, feeling weak physically and just exhausted from, you know, all of that struggle. And I think for me, I always, I always joke. I joked about this a few Sundays ago (laughs) in the sermon is that, you know, if you listen to Piper young enough and long enough, you just think that you're going to suffer so well whenever, <laughs> whenever, if you don't know what I'm referencing, it's John Piper. You should read some of his books on suffering. You just feel like, man, I'm ready to suffer for the name of Christ, you know, and then suffering hits you that's very hard and difficult, and all of a sudden you realize, I'm terrible at this. And it and never so, hits you the way that you think it's going to. You never, know, never, ever. Like, you, you, when you picture suffering, you're kind of thinking, I'm going to be on the mission field People are going to be opposing me for preaching the gospel, exactly. and I'm going to withstand it. Yes, and then suffering hits in the form of sickness or yep. you know something that's just so common mm-hmm. and, and lonely. And yes. it's like no one, there's no fanfare around your suffering. It's not like people <laughs> are like, man, that guy's bold. It's just like you know, you're sitting at lunch, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't, I can't see straight. You know, yeah, and that's your suffering, <laughs> and everybody's like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> It's true. It always happens that way. You know? It's true. It is terrible. And so, you know, so I knew going in that it was probably going to be, it was going to be tough for us, but just didn't know what that entailed. And so our goal was, we our kind of commitment to the ministry was we're going to go there for a year. 
we're going to help get this school launched off the ground, get this first year of missionaries, you know, being trained underway and just see how we felt, you know, getting into the culture, all that kind of stuff. And we moved to Brazil at a time where pretty much everyone in Brazil was trying to get out and still are just government corruption, all that kind of stuff you see in many of these countries. And so, you know, people were confused about why we were coming there, but we, we really enjoyed our time there. It was, it was awesome. Uh, we walked to Walmart, which was probably the highlight of our time in Brazil, but, uh, but it's really cool. And I had traveled there several times before Chelsea and I moved there. And so it was really getting in the culture. Loved it. Just learning more Portuguese was really enjoying just witnessing, talking to people. Um, it was really an awesome time for us. There was a lot of hope and excitement in it going and, it, we were excited to come to Providence for a short time before that and to be kind of sent out from you guys and just yeah. prayed over and all that it was really a good blessing for us. And, uh, it got to the point, I mean, just everything kind of hit the fan when we got there, which is maybe typical, but you know, within a month there we had a miscarriage and it was just, it was our first miscarriage we had. It was a very devastating time. You know, obviously it's a loss of a life of a child. And, and so that was a struggle. And just the way things work there to the average sissy American, I guess, you know, it's right. just like, I couldn't be there with my wife in the hospital, not because COVID, not because anything, it's just how it works. You know, right. you just can't, there's like, there's no, like those common, you know, things like I got my appendix removed in Brazil, like not when we were there that time, but before. And it's just like the medical thing there, it's just different unless you're rich and can afford like a really nice privately owned hospital. It's just weird circumstances. You know, I could tell you stories about my appendix removal. Every just, time you mention that, I just think. This is crazy. Just, just to be clear, <laughs> when Eric was in Brazil and they weren't married, he started having uh, pain. Was it back pain or stomach pain? No, it was, yeah, stomach pain. So stomach pain, you know, you, you're traveling, so you think, oh, man, I eat something bad, whatever it may be. Yeah. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Ends up getting to the hospital, and they tell him, we're going to be taking him to surgery to get your appendix out. And there's the hospital conditions, the, the, it's some of the craziest stories I've ever heard. Dude. Yeah. It was hilarious. I mean, the, the, the cliff notes are, I, I started getting appendicitis up in towards the Amazon. So like no hospitals around at all. <laughs> and so there's apparently like, I guess they told me there's like three stages. The third stage, your, your appendix burst and mine stayed in stage one for like an unreasonable amount of time. So it was the Lord's grace there. And then when I get in the hospital, yeah, I find out I'm getting surgery in like an hour. I'm like, hey, I got to use the restroom. So they send me to this public restroom. There's no toilet paper. There's nothing. I'm like, oh, you know, this is, this is going to be tough, but that's fine. And so like, oh, no, we have another restroom we could send you to. So I go in this room. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if it's like a patient's room, but there's like a, a bloody gurney over there and a oh, shower in God. the corner. I'm sitting, like they just handed me this small roll of toilet paper. I'm sitting on this toilet. It's just in the room. There's no like barrier or anything, right? And there's no one else in there, but there's also like an open window. There's this open window to, I'm not kidding, like a public street. And so I'm like, yep, this is where it's going down. So that was it my pre-surgery. Like, it's seriously like a moment. like a scene from The Walking Dead, like something that they had to live in. And, 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 and if you're from Brazil, I'm not bugging fun. There's great hospitals there. I just, I had the insurance where you go to the government one and it's oh, no, just it's, terrible. You were used to it. It's like a West Virginia hospital. It's true. <laughs> it doesn't get, uh, yeah, it's about the same. So anyways, we moved to Brazil. And we had that happen. On top of that, I started getting really sick. Probably the last month there, like I just wanted to stay in bed the whole time. Couldn't move much. Oh, constantly felt like my heart was going to explode. I was like almost passing out at like certain events. And it was just, it was just tough, man. I was like, I could not function. And I don't know if it was like an environmental thing at the time that kicked it off. You know, I've discovered later that diet has a lot to do with it. Environmental things can have a lot to do with it. So 
no idea what was like all causing the triggers, you know, but it got to the point where we just, by we can't do this, you know, so we had talk with you over the phone, talk with, you know, my dad there and the ministry and just kind of prayed through it and decided this probably isn't the best season. So really when, when you think about, okay, oh yeah, I went and did a missionary. I was doing this as a missionary. You want these like epic stories. Like, yeah, I was there for several years, did all these things. And for me, probably the biggest lesson I learned there was just how to trust the Lord in suffering. Right. And I don't feel like, like it was just like three months and I was like, oh yes, I got this now. It's something I'm still learning. But to me, I think that was probably the moment when all that stuff was happening, that was probably the moment I realized like, I'm not as strong as I thought. Yeah. And I even think like how many times has Paul returned to the topic of suffering? Yeah. In the new Testament. I mean, it just feels like all the time he's returning to suffering and yeah. Telling, you know, encouraging Timothy to share in suffering, um, encouraging the churches to to endure through suffering. And then, of course, his own sufferings, which in Second Corinthians, you know, he lays out for everybody. These are all, just, you know, my weaknesses. Yep. But it's like it's no small lesson because it, in some ways it's like the fundamental lesson. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus in John 16. In this in this world, you will have tribulation. Yeah. But take heart. I've overcome the world. How do you do that? How do you take heart in Christ? Yeah. That he's overcome the world and I'm sick. Yeah. And this isn't working out as it ought to. And mm-hmm. I'm in a fallen world. Yep. Where all my plans get thwarted. Yeah. But God's plans don't get thwarted. You know, that's fundamentally it's the lesson, you know? Yep. Yeah. Everything is, is tainted by the destructiveness of sin, right? And so just everything is muddled with suffering. Everything is muddled with this, you know, as Paul says, this groaning for like the whole creation is groaning for this to end, you know, for things to be made right. And so it's definitely a part of life. And unfortunately, I think this is probably off topic, but unfortunately, I think as Westerners that we have developed this mindset of if we can ignore it for long enough, it will be better. But I, and I think as, as a kid, I always grew up just, that's kind of how we grow up, right? And even for our kids, we want them to avoid suffering if at all possible. We don't want to purposely send them into suffering for no reason. And I don't think we should be, you know, getting into asceticism where we make ourselves suffer for, for no purpose. But I do think, you know, being real about suffering would help us a lot in the long run. Yeah. I mean, at the heart of the Christian faith is the cross and the resurrection. So you have both, Mm -hmm. both life and death and not just death, but brutal death and hardship. And so, but that's at the center of our faith is that Christ endured the cross, despising the shame, but Mm -hmm. then rose again is now seated at the right hand of God. You know, that's what Paul said. So, I think that there's a way to be kind of brutalist or uh, stoic where it's like all of your Christianity is suffering. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's like only the cross. Yeah. And then there's a way to try and convince Christians to come to Christ, but but telling them they don't have to come through the cross or deny themselves and take up the cross. They just get the resurrection all the time. Yeah. You know, they just get life. They just get joy. They just get abundance. And it's like, no, like we, we go, we get to that through the cross, which yep. means that after not just to die to sin, be buried with Christ in baptism, but that we, we actually do suffer with Christ. Every Christian that suffers in faith suffers with Christ. That's mm-hmm. what, you know, Paul's basic theology was. And so I do think that there's a temptation to create a Christianity without suffering. Mm-hmm. Particularly, that's maybe a Western. Maybe it's a Western thing because we we definitely are decadent. Yeah, and we have a lot of modern sensibilities. Yeah, and take things for granted. You know, I was thinking about it the other day actually. Whenever that storms came in, 
and, uh, you know, the lightning storms and tornado warnings and all that. And uh, I was watching the news at two in the morning trying to see where it was. And <laughs> yeah. the guy on there says, uh, you know, it's been raining a lot. It rained. I don't know. There was there was one county, I think, like north northeast of us that got like 10 inches in a handful of hours. Like crazy mm-hmm. amounts of rain. And he said, you know, we were on the cusp. We were already on the uh, early stages of drought. Mm-hmm. So the, the ground received a lot of the water, which really helped us. And I, I thought about that and I was like, we were on the early stages of drought. Didn't even know that. Yeah. And how generations before that would have been like their very, there were no grocery stores. That would have been their very life. Mm-hmm. And they would have known imminent suffering was headed for them. Yep. Had it not rained. We think like how terrible it is. It's sad that, you know, tornadoes came through and things like that. Um, but even if that didn't hit us, we just kind of move on, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the weather almost doesn't have an impact on us, I guess is my point. It's like, we're just like, oh, well, just a bad weather day. Whereas like for many people and still this is true for many people all across the world, that rain would have been what they all celebrated that night. Yeah. You know, the thing that they can't control. And we've, we've become very, I think, established in our pride that we can control so much that we're just mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, well, a rainy day. Yeah. Yeah. I think the sad part is when that control is lost because there's it's it's all fake right you don't really have control and so when that control bottoms out you're left with how do i deal with it and i don't think a lot of people even christians in our context know how to deal with it or know how to think about it properly biblically and joyfully and so we just we shouldn't hide behind this false notion but rather obviously embrace it not as we like like suffering but we know it's a part of just who we are in this life and that's why we long for the resurrection from the dead well we can suffer we can suffer well or we or we can suffer poorly yeah those are so really only those two are options. really the options right yeah. it's like there's the way to suffer well in Christ and there's the way to suffer that leads to a lot of unhealth bitterness strife envy malice all of the you know sins of the flesh yep or we could suffer in Christ, which leads to, hey, there's there's a, like Job, I get to know God more deeply mm-hmm. um, through the suffering. And I get to experience his sustaining presence with me and yeah. his power to bring about the resurrection rather than me trying to make that happen. So, it, again, it's not that suffering is, you don't get a choice. You yeah. can do the ignoring thing like you were talking about, which I think we've become pretty. Pretty good at. You yeah, just can't last forever. Our, we've wired our world that way. You know, it's a, uh, mm-hmm. keep keep a death at at arm's length as best as we can yeah um until it's here and then and then even then we all kind of like close our eyes and you know yeah it's like whenever i was i don't know like eight or nine years old to go to the the old fright fest in houston it's like (laughs) close your eyes and get through there you know and then you could be done and you're like i got through it you know and that's kind of what we do to suffering and death Mm -hmm. um but what what that does by not going eyes wide open is that you don't know actually how to deal with it it's not like you're growing in that sense of how to deal with hardship exactly we're really learning to trust the Lord in the midst of the hardship too. And that was really, I think for me, what I realized about myself in Brazil was I don't really trust in the Lord. Like I thought I did, but now I realize how weak I am and how untrusting I am in, in his goodness. And so for me, that was a, that was a rude awakening because I actually prided myself on teaching that to others, but it was, it was, you know, that young guy teaching something he doesn't know. So it was, it was a hard lesson for me. And then it was years after that, still learning and, still learning how to suffer well and yeah it's funny it doesn't make anything that you taught when you were younger any less true uh-huh. just uh 
just your experience of it, right? It brings a richness to, to really walk in it. The out. wisdom that you actually have <laughs> in it is different. Yeah. Um, okay. So you went from there and then you guys uh, obviously came back to Providence and went through church planning residency with us. Yep. Um, really you were, I mean, you guys were uh, a part of some interview process really almost on the, on the cusp of moving to Pittsburgh at, at one point. Um, yep. I know in the early days we even, we even talked about potentially planting a, uh, a church in Valley Ranch and you guys being the uh, planting there. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little, tell us a little bit about your heart for church planning, you and Chelsea's heart for church planning and, you know, obviously why it matters. Yeah. Cause we don't, I don't even think we've talked about it on the podcast for a while now. You know, obviously when we planted Providence, we planted as an X 29 church because X 29 is a church planting uh, network. They, yes. they're about at its very core churches, planting churches. Yep. Um, and we want to be a part of that because we obviously have the theological conviction that by planting churches, the gospel goes forward Yep. and, uh, and people are saved, but they're saved into the community of faith. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe tell everybody a little bit about church planning, your heart for it, you and Chelsea and y'all's call to that. And, you know, if you think that'll be something in the future that maybe you do. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when, when I think of, of church planning, so when I initially felt called to pastoral ministry, started to study what it was, started reading good books like, you know, Richard Baxter, you know, and, Ooh. and, and those books, um, reformed pastor. That's the book there. Um, it's a real treasure if you want to, it is, it's, it's, a, it it's a light read. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, my, my thought on pastoral ministry has always been like, if you were to ask me in particular what I would do with that, I always just, thought, I just want to love people, like be able to share with them the gospel for them to understand it right in that context. So with church planting, you know, it's something as kind of growing up, just following the guys I did, getting involved with the X-29 network, you know, um, the idea of church planting made the most sense to me. And so for me, it was like, well, that's clearly how the gospel spreads. This is how the book of Acts is laid out. This is how missions is laid out is you don't want to just go and preach the gospel and leave people without anything, right? You, you, you have to plant churches. And it does, I mean, you could obviously go preach the gospel and you could fill with existing churches and things like that. And I don't think it's bad to, to think that way, but you know, planting churches is how the gospel will continue to spread. will continue to go forward. And so that was like, from the moment we went to Brazil, like that's what we wanted to do was help pastors that were going to plant, be trained and be equipped and get all the necessary things they need in order to do that. And so when we came back and you guys were starting here at Providence, the church plant residency, that was something that we said, you know, we want to seek this out more. Like we, I personally felt called to pastoral ministry, didn't know what that was going to look like, just knew I wanted to do, wanted to love God's people, and so wanted to go out and do that however, you know, the Lord saw fit. And so going through the church plan residency, I, at first when I joined it, I wasn't like, that's exactly what I'm going to do, and here's where I'm going to do it, here's when I'm going to do it. I just said, I want to consider this. I want to consider this heavily. Right. And Chelsea felt, you know, ready to take on that uh calling and you know to kind of come alongside me and and to do that work together and so we were excited about that and you know obviously kind of finished the residency had an opportunity in pittsburgh so you know long story short my dream of church planning i, I always kind of thought maybe that that might happen in west virginia and right. so you know when we finished the residency we thought okay maybe valley ranch but then that just kind of didn't feel like what we were going to do right and we wanted to be patient we didn't want to be hasty and that was kind of the thing it was just trying to be patient with the calling of god in our life and went to take a job in pittsburgh that just didn't work it just fell through uh like last minute we like literally had our bags packed and thought we were gonna get this job and then 
it, it just didn't work for whatever circumstance. It's just a, just a bummer for us, you know. Which a lot of people, I mean, I know I didn't know this whenever <laughs> you and I first met and befriended one another, and I, you know, you went up to visit your family or something. Wheeling and Pittsburgh are not far from one another. Yeah, it's about forty minutes. Right. So in Texas, it's like when I think of when I thought Pittsburgh well, and Wheeling, I'm like Pennsylvania, <laughs> and, and you were like, yeah, it's kind of close to my hometown. I'm like. No, it's not. <laughs> like it's, it's in Pennsylvania. It's like oh, it's forty minutes. It's literally like it's like going to the woodlands. That's right. It's yeah, not, maybe Huntsville, but which is crazy. Like that's yeah. that, that was so close. So yeah, and that's why honestly, because that was a job in, in uh, as an associate pastor to get more training from an Acts twenty nine church in order to go plant there. Because yeah, they were church playing church, and they had exactly. already had a had a network of plans to plant. Exactly. Absolutely. And so you know that was kind of our goal and. You know, it didn't work out. That wasn't in in the Lord's plans, and so from there, I just kind of kept working my secular job and and just continued at Providence to be be helpful anywhere I could. And then from there, really, the past uh, or the couple of years after that, the journey was like, what are you doing, Lord? Like, you know, there was definitely some wisdom coming to my life. There were some different assessments I got and stuff. And you know, a lot of people were saying, well, maybe you should wait till you're at least thirty to plant. You know, you shouldn't be in a rush to plant a church. And you know. Obviously, I was like, oh, that's stupid. You know, you can plant churches young. I mean, you know, I know people that have planted, you planted, you know, younger than 30. And yeah, I'm, yeah. so I'm like, you know, mistakes have been forget, made. forget these old people with their, you know, pseudo wisdom was kind of my mindset. I was right. like, I want to do this. Yeah, I want to do something. And you then, first Timothy 4 to them. Don't yeah, let them exactly. Despise you for your youth. Exactly. Just set an example, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I think it was wise. I think there was definitely things that the Lord has been was then and is still now working out in me. And, you know, my desire has always been, like, I really believe in, in the mission of God and planting churches and, you know, faithful churches, not churches. So I, I do get a little worried with church planting movements because when you start talking about churches that plant churches, that plant churches, that plant churches, basically a lot of guys end up planting churches for the sake of the goal of planting churches rather than right. loving the people. And, that becomes a, a wasted, a wasted opportunity. And so right. for me, I, I've never had this over ambition of like that, but I do know that I believe in it and that I, I want to love God's people through pastoral ministry. And so for me, I'm excited, you know, for this season at Providence because, you know, there's been a few times where I've thought, okay, we're going to move to West Virginia. We're going to do this, you know, partnering with Acts 29, West Virginia and some other people. And it just hasn't happened yet, you know, for whatever reason, some with circumstances, some, you know, we just, Chelsea and I felt like this isn't the timing. And if we were just to kind of go and do this without feeling strongly that the timing was there, it just seemed irresponsible. And, you know, we've always loved the people here at Providence. It's, it's always been our joy to be with them, to lead home group and to serve in any way we can. And so I know for sure in this season that, I'm excited just to help pastor alongside the other pastors of Providence, if it be the Lord's will. And that, you know, just to continue to be faithful there and continue to learn to love people well, to to grow in all the aspects that are going to help God's people be equipped for the work of ministry. And as far as church playing in the future, I do see that probably happening. That seems like that's the trajectory I would head, but I don't really know uh, at this point. Like I said, I don't have this ambition. Like I have to do that. I just know that my next step is is to pastor people well and see where that leads. Yeah, I mean, and when I look back on it now, I think you don't kind of see why the Lord might be holding back, might be saying mm-hmm. no, not now, not now. And then, you know, I thought about it when you guys brought Priya home, and I was like, hmm, well, there's one. Yeah, you know, not that not that you couldn't have brought her home when you, in West Virginia, but it, it was just it was nice, and I think good and right that 
that you were able to bring her home here at Providence with all the yeah. people who love you guys and love her. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of, there's a semblance of stability there that I think is good. Absolutely, man. And this may not be the time or place to, <laughs> to say this, but I think for me is just my experience with, with Providence. Not that Providence has been a perfect church by any means. You, you know, that obviously churches are going to make mistakes, for all you know, and and until the end of time, that that's that's, right. that's going to happen. We're sinful people, but my wife and I have been so loved by the people of this church. It's just been amazing. Like I, I don't feel like I could ever love the people of Providence enough the way we've been loved, and that was definitely evident through bringing Priya home and the whole process. Just the financial burden it takes to to bring a child home through foreign adoption and just the longing, all those things, but also just through through all of our little little seasons of suffering and and struggles and. Whatever that's looked like, we've definitely been been loved by the people. That's been one thing that's been just such a joy for us to see, you know, see the scriptures, you know, lived out in that way. And it's it's been an awesome witness to us of the gospel, of the Lord's love for us, and of the people of Providence. Yeah, I know Morgan and I felt that way too when we brought our kids home and it's just been it's a huge blessing. It's a, it's a nice and not not only then but in other moments of mm-hmm. our lives. But it, it was just it's uh, it rings true whenever you're bringing your kiddos home and Yep got the support, got people of God. It's mm-hmm. all the things that, that you, you long for. Uh, and I think is glorifying to Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, shifting gears, I wanted to ask you just a couple questions about, well, Providence, the future of Providence, stuff like that. But yeah, you know, obviously the last couple of years we've been in some crazy times, um, you know, trying to navigate a life with the pandemic and, you know, lots of things going on in the midst of that. Um, uh, I guess maybe pastorally, what do you think is one thing Christians should be thinking about more in this season that, that's maybe flying under the radar? You know, I know f- I'll just speak from my perspective. I've been I've been thinking that, or at least in the early days of the pandemic, I was praying and hoping that the church would be reminded of their eternal hope in Christ and not so fearful of the temporal. Uh, sickness, death, the, there's a lot of f- fear that can overtake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that was probably something that every every pastor, it was like a surface level thing. But I guess what I'm asking you is like, what are some things that are flying under the radar that you see that maybe we should be considering more with all the cultural tides and as they are? Yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of things I think I want to say here. If I had more time to write them all down and give you my list of 20-something things, <laughs> that would be be good. But if I if I had to pick one overarching theme that I think the church should be focused on, I think it is eternity, and this has a lot of implications. But you know, the church exists to really preserve and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, and so you know, by preserving, I mean you know we we need to stand for truth. You know, there's been a ploy from people that have crept in both to the church and society to destroy truth. Hmm. So if you hold to any truth that's offensive to anyone, you are now in trouble, right? That's, that's kind of how the culture has, has come. And so we're called to really preserve the gospel. We're not, we're not supposed to be ashamed. No matter how much culture is ashamed of truth, we're not supposed to be ashamed. And now you can't even say basic true things. Basic true facts will get you canceled or will get you in trouble or whatever. And, we have a culture of growing timidity around the gospel, but we're not supposed to be that way. And so 
I think we have to we have to understand that we're called to preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to be ashamed of it, to proclaim it's the power of God unto salvation. It really does rescue people from eternity. And if we get caught up in some of the cultural worries and things like that, we're just really missing, I think, the mark of why we exist. And so you, you kind of lack purpose. The more, you know, that's why the, the Bible says that enmity, or sorry, love for the world is enmity with God. I think one of the, the, the downfalls of, of loving the world is not just that you now put yourself as an enemy of God, but the more you love the world, the harder it is to really see these things clearly. And so, and I think just naturally our culture and our freedom, it just happens. It's sin. It's always been a thing. It's not just unique to America. It's everywhere. But we're also called to proclaim that, so not to be ashamed of the gospel too. And the reason why I say eternity is because I think we've maybe forgotten, and I don't want to be like, you know, you can go too far with this to where you think physical stuff doesn't matter, the flesh doesn't matter, right? And you kind of start to say, oh, who cares about this world? Let's just die already and get to the next one. Right, well, right, right. once again, we're preserving and proclaiming, right? And so, you know, when we think about eternity, I'm not saying we should abandon the physicality of this life. We want our kids to have a good life. We want there to be peace on earth and not war. You know, we, we want all these things and we, we should fight for these things. We fight for justice. We fight for peace. But at the end of the day, if we're not focused on eternity, we're, we're are just going to lose this battle. We end up being so fearful about every little thing. We end up being so stressed and anxious. You can talk to most people in our church, in society that are Christians. We are very anxious. We're very worried. We're very just overwhelmed with all the things that are coming. And it's like none of this has been, been new. This is something the church has always faced, will always face. And I think we just have to like really have hope. Like you, you said it, you know, it was kind of like your concern too, is this hope in eternity. It says like, we know where we're heading. We long for a city whose founder and builder is God. That's where our hope is. Therefore, we fight the desires of the flesh, which wage war against our soul, right? We um, long first and foremost to, preserve, proclaim the gospel, to be faithful to the Lord, to look to his glory, and to bring as many people with us as possible. And it just this is very basic. I mean, anyone could give this answer. I'm not saying this is something profound I have, but if you think about your life, you've lost that simplicity of your calling, who you are in the Lord, where you're heading. And I think we need to regain some of that simplicity as we consider how to, to navigate this current cultural moment. So, obviously the there's this quote from C.S. Lewis. I've heard the the opposite of this quote when I was growing up in the faith. It was, you know, you're you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Mm-hmm. And um, C.S. Lewis actually had a quote that said, "The it's the man who has thought most about the world that is to come that has made the most impact on the world that is." Yep. Which I agree with C.S. Lewis 100. Mm-hmm. percent um, And it's because of the things that you're mentioning right now about the what is Jonathan Edwards' famous quote. Uh, God stamp eternity on my eyeballs. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he wants to be able to have eternal eyes everywhere. Yeah, everywhere he looks, and I think that that's true. So, question I have though is, okay, we know that being temporal, being, um, you know, Paul says it in Colossians, even setting your mind on the things of the flesh leads to death. Set your mind on the things that are, that are above mm-hmm. uh, leads to life. So we know that this this idea of not having eternal perspective is not like a new thing. Every human being has always dealt with it. But do you feel like, I know, I know my answer to this, but do you feel like we're in a unique moment where the church has temporal eyes only 
or it's or is at least at it's at least at risk of having only temporal eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you know, I'm always cautious about about saying we're in a unique time for something because, you know, odds are we're not. Everyone <laughs> in history has felt that way, you know. Yeah, so yeah. but it does feel that way to me. It feels that way, you know, I'm not that old, but I've, you know, just looking at the past century Right. And just kind of the the different things that have kind of led to where we're at, even just the past couple of decades, really, you know, the the uniqueness about the Western context, I think, for us and kind of what we're maybe struggling with has been, I think, just a weird like season of peace in some ways. In some ways, it's it's been a huge blessing. It's been great. It's nothing to, you know, be be mad at. But I feel like it's just it's it's in a strange way has like dulled us you know it's it's we, we've lost a sharpness we, we've kind of become numb to I think a lot of things and so at least in, in my own soul I do feel a unique season of you know really being tempted to look at the temporal I mean we can go into a lot of topics here that we probably don't need to but I look at things like the metaverse right it's <laughs> yeah. like you know it's like we have now like this strange technology to completely escape our reality okay so even with that like my uh, I can't decide whether or not it is a desire for transcendence mm-hmm. that's misguided. Because I think that when I think of Gen Z or I don't even know what they're calling the, the new generations, but the younger generation, I do think there's a desire for transcendence, but no guidance. Yeah. And so it's not that uh, Christianity has been um, uniquely um, uh, marginalized. It's actually that Christianity just got shoved in a lump full of all these other things, and it's just been degraded to where it's oh yeah, that's just like all these other options. Yeah, which is even more uh, nefarious in my in my yes. view. Um, be better to outright uh, you know attack the ideas, and then let's actually see what they are. You know, see where yep. the the chips fall where they may. But anyway, I can't tell if it's that that there's a younger generation because I, I could not be more opposed. I mean, I just, yeah. every cell in my body revolts against the idea of a metaverse that yeah. I would ever want to put goggles on and live it, even be anywhere else or live anywhere else. Just, but I understand that I'm, I'm not this, that's not true of every, every person, even in my own generation, much less the younger generation, but yeah. I can't tell if it's like they're desiring transcendence or they're desiring just total isolation and want to be devoid of what their current life is. Like they just want to get away from yeah. their own life. Like, yeah. is it distraction or is it transcendence or is it a mixture of both? Like, what do you see? Yeah, that's a, that's a unique question. I think it's probably both. You know, I, I tend to maybe lean more towards the, the negative view, which would be that it's, it's one of the many attempts we have to ignore reality. I do think, you know, any reality like that without God is probably a sinful attempt to to define life without the Lord, to define eternity without God being a part of it, you know? So I definitely right. think that's there. Now, there obviously, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes and, and other texts do seem that it's like God has really, God has put eternity in our hearts, right? Like there is this longing, there is this understanding to be, like we do desire to be a part of something greater than ourselves, you know? Um, but a lot of stuff with, the reason why I say kind of more on the negative side is a lot of stuff with the metaverse and a lot of stuff in our culture has basically been, you know, what Timothy said, you know, that the end times, which I would define that from the time of the apostles till now, that people would be lovers of themselves. And so the whole kind of enlightenment idea, and I hope this is 
tying in correctly here, but the kind of whole idea of the enlightenment, the bad part from the enlightenment, right? One of the many bad things from it probably has been that we are so set on defining our own individuality apart from God that we get to crazy ends like this. Like we want a metaverse that we can truly define ourselves however we want to without any limitations. See, the problem is people are still trying to do that today in society, but there's physical because of natural law, right? There's limitations on what we can define. But so, in something like the metaverse, there's no limitations on what you can do, define, etc. Your wildest dreams are true for you there. Yeah, like uh, ultimately, I, I think I've said this many times from the pulpit. But like the king without, or the kingdom without the king, it's your own utopia with no authority. You're yep. the authority. You're yep. the king. Um, but on the on the distraction angle, like if if it is true that. Um, a large, and I think that we can we can at least say statistically, looking at social media and some other things, that a large swath of the next generation is being distracted to death. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, wanting to get outside of their actual lives in yeah. order to live this virtual life. Yeah. Here's the rub: What does that say about the fleeting pleasures of the world, though? Because there's never been a more wealthy generation than this one. There's mm-hmm. never been a more decadent generation than this one there's never been more ability like i remember when when we when we were young being bored was a thing yep being bored isn't a thing anymore yeah you you can't be bored you have literally (laughs) a whole world at your fingertips so people are just living there when they're bored yeah when i was i remember going to you know being bored at home just laying there like what am i going to do today you know or being outside you know sometimes i'll see my son and just dragging a stick around and i'm like that's what bored looks like that's That's what (laughs) but that's not a thing anymore. And so what does it say to you that we have all these opportunities? There's, you, you could literally not be bored and people want to escape from that world. Yeah. Yeah, they, absolutely. Like literally they got everything that you could ever really want and they want to escape that. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, it's just proof what's been proven over and over again. Solomon proved it by, you know, having all the wealth in the world and trying to track down every possible portion of sin he could have and it, he hated it, right? I mean, you statistically this generation that has all these things at their fingertips, suicide is higher than ever in young kids. I mean, we could go down all the statistics. It's clearly that it bears out that the pleasures of the world can't satisfy, you know? And when you think about that, I mean, that's not just, det- that's, that's devastating. It's devastating. That's death, that's, deaths of teen. Yep. You know, I was uh, reading an article just the other day that teen suicide rates, that it was not a thing 50 years ago that mm-hmm. was an epidemic like it is now. It's like teenagers didn't, themselves at this rate yeah and we are having i mean and 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 COVID has made it much worse yes um it's absolutely devastating also the opioid crisis which this year for the first year killed a hundred thousand americans yeah that's insanity and it's it's heartbreaking because it's a statistic and then you actually think those are real people yeah with real lives with families yeah some of them uh were children of of parents in a household some of them had children of their own Mm-hmm. It's like this is devastating. Yeah, and and why is it happening? Well, it's it's happening in the most decadent society with all the, all the trappings of wealth and all the things that you would want. It's uh, it is proving the scriptures true. Yes, but the question I want to pose to you is, but it doesn't change that for whatever reason, the gospel message still has to. How do you how do you communicate that to this generation? Yeah, well, I think it's uh, it's got to be a reminder to us that our as Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this present darkness. And so we have to remember that 
our battle is not just one of political argument. You know, that tends to be where we fall, at least me. I kind of think, well, can't you see why this policy is stupid or this is dumb or whatever? You know, you really want to intellectually convince people. It's but not a logic issue. It's not a logic issue. Well, yeah, it leads to illogic behavior for sure, but it is is definitely it's spiritual it's spiritual you know it's it's death from the enemy it's an attack it's what has been going on it's just a unique season like we mentioned to where there's been a lot of what looked at as peace in our context right um obviously you know, for a lot of the world there's no such thing as peace it's total devastation and and craziness like we read all throughout history but um for us anyways it's, it's kind of seemed that way so i think it's a big shock to our system and we have to get back to the mindset of like this is a spiritual darkness you see the death destruction that comes from it and the only answer the only answer is the gospel of jesus christ it doesn't mean there's not other arenas we fight in you know i definitely think there's political battles to be won i think there's justice battles to be won i think there's there's lots of stuff areas that we can contend but none of it matters without the gospel and that may seem like an obvious christian answer but it's like how do we right proclaim the gospel we cannot be ashamed of it we have to proclaim it we have to be confident in it it's the power of god to save i couldn't agree with you more i I feel like and and to say we want to make disciples Mm -hmm. because we want the gospel of jesus christ to go forward and for disciples to be made you know we talk about being gospel centered at providence yep and i think it's important to mention well what do we mean by that another way to put it might be the gospel for all of life Mm-hmm. And so that the gospel not only speaks to the issues of sin yeah, and Jesus dying for our salvation and our, us having an eternity with him, that's the white hot center, you know, which mm-hmm. is justification by faith, but that the gospel changes everything. Mm-hmm. That truth should impact every area of our lives. Like if, if the gospel is in its fullness about the person and work of Christ, that it's in the person Christ being the Lord mm-hmm. is a massive statement. Yep. And I think that's the gospel that needs to be offered to our children and to the next generation mm-hmm. that yes, it's justification by faith. And yes, that's the the heart in the center, but that what Christ is offering is, is a, not just a worldview. It's a whole new life. Yep. Yep. In him. And that impacts everything. It impacts the way that you're going to do your girlfriend and boyfriend stuff, the way you're going to do your, you know, job stuff, your finance stuff, your, mm-hmm. your later family stuff, you know, the way you're going to view, you know, the metaverse with, you know, the, your, the gospel is going to change yeah. you. I think that's the way that we have to be able to communicate it or else it becomes kind of like a truncated, uh, I guess, church thing that our kids have grown up with, but it's. Like, like you mentioned yeah. about your own testimony, it's like, but it wasn't real to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just, it's a scary thought to think, right? I mean, and, and Paul talks, I'm trying to think of the wording, but Paul basically talks about this, these people who basically can proclaim the gospel or kind of profess the gospel, but it doesn't come with power, right? Mm, yes. There's a certain power that comes within your life. And so, it's a form of godliness, but denying the power. Thereof. Yes, that's, that's what, what it is. is. Thank you. Um, and and that's that's scary, right? So that, that means there's intellectual, probably assent and knowledge of the gospel, but there, there's no real power that comes with it. There's no real 
like impact on the soul with the Lord. And that changes everything. I mean, you think about your kids, you could send them off to the most Christian school at all time, but in the home, if, if there is no real godliness, if there's no real genuine love for the Lord, that is going to be tasted by them. Mm-hmm. You know, that we always like get afraid of, of, you know, oh, I don't want them to be a pastor's kid or, you know, they're going to grow up hating the church. Well, I, I get afraid of that. You mean <laughs> it's to me, I think, I think it's a, I think it's, I don't want to say it's a relevant fear, but I do think that it, the reason that's been produced so much and why that's a stigma is because there's a lot of people holding to the gospel without power. Right. And and I don't mean powers in like you're like some strong, crazy good preacher. I just mean you genuinely love the Lord. Like there's a real knowledge of the Lord. Like you seek the Lord. The Spirit's power that Spirit's is actually power. changing your life. Yep. And emanating from your life. Yeah. And that that's what's really going to change our kids. This is really going to change change the world. So, well, we've been going for a little while. I got one last question for you. you got to answer it in a minute or less. Okay. Um, what are you looking forward to the most this year at Providence? Wow. The most at Providence this year. I mean, a lot. I, I think that we are just in a unique situation just to be the light of the world, saw the earth here in our city. And so that's really the longing and the prayer is that God would just use us this year in a powerful way that, you know, just things we're talking about, this this real, this real godliness, this, this power from believing the gospel, this simplicity in believing the gospel and allowing that to work out. You know, we, we always say our mission is we want to make the gospel unignorable in our city. And, and the way that happens is yes, through proclaiming, yes, through many actions, but the foundation of that desire and that mission comes from really believing the gospel ourselves knowing the Lord and walking with him. And that's my prayer. That's my hope for, for Providence, for myself, for my family and, you know, for the city. Absolutely. Man, I got you just saying that, I don't know why, but in my head, I just think of our kids. Yeah. Just keeps coming to my mind. Like just seeing the gospel formed in them and then through them Mm -hmm. just keeps coming to my mind. That's yeah, man, I'm excited too. Well, Thanks for joining me on the Provcast, Eric. I'm really uh, appreciative, dude. Uh, if Absolutely. you're a member of Providence and you haven't had a chance to meet Eric, I would. I really want to encourage you. You know, look him up on a Sunday morning. You can either see him. He'll be uh, he'll pre- be preaching, or he usually will host our gatherings. He's usually out there by the information kiosk, and so you can find him on a Sunday morning. You know, look him up, get to know Eric a little bit um, as we get closer to uh, the vote for his uh, elder candidacy for affirmation. So. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of the Provcast. If you're interested in more information about Providence, you can check out our website at providencetx.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, get all of our episodes, uh, including our Sunday sermons uploaded to your device. Uh, if you want to visit us on a Sunday morning, we got gatherings at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. every single week. We would love to have you. And until next time, make sure that you share the love of God that's been shown to you, and we will see you next time.